The date is February 15, 2021, a Monday. These are the screams of the Lumad children at the University of San Carlos Talamban campus after police barge in to take them. A total of 26 people are taken into custody. Why are they being taken? The police say the children need rescuing, but the children and their teachers tell another story. Hello, I'm Rambo Talabong. This is Rappler's Crime Podcast, Criminal. In this podcast, we revisit crime stories that are significant in understanding Philippine politics and society. This is our 17th episode, where we will talk about the Lumad arrests in Cebu. For this episode, I interview Lorraine Ekarma, one of Rappler's Visayas correspondents. Lorraine Ekarma, our correspondent from Cebu. Lorraine! From the start, could you tell us about the story of the Lumad students arrested in Cebu? Yes, so on the 15th of February, the police, together with social service workers and the media, drove to the University of San Carlos, the Lamban campus. It's a really prominent university here in Cebu, one of the premier universities actually in the country. They drove to the retreat house and the police told the media that it was just going to be a rescue operation of some traffic um, indigenous students. So basically it was premised as a rescue operation, but can clearly be seen in live footages of the arrest. No, it wasn't. Uh, it resembled more of a raid. You could see students who were trying to resist the police, students getting dragged out from the retreat house in San Carlos, the Lamban campus. And it was practically chaos that operation and 19 students were retrieved from retreat house while seven were arrested the seven is composed of two lumad teachers two lumad volunteer teachers um three datos and oh no two datos and three students so it's it started with that operation an operation Mm -hmm. they said was going to be a rescue operation but on the side of the Lumads and then the side of the university, what was it? Well, the University of San Carlos later released, on the same day, released a statement practically debunking what the police claimed. They explained that the Lumad were there for refuge. They were there to establish a Bakwit school where they're free to learn and to continue their modular learning. And they were supposed to go home last year but because of quarantine restrictions they they had to extend their stay in the university of san carlos and in the statement the university of san carlos and the svd the society of the divine word made it clear that no rescue operation was needed as the children and the datus were cared for and provided shelter and even hygiene kits practically their needs by the university and volunteer organizations. So Lorraine, they were staying there as part of a backwit school. Can you tell us a little more about how backwit schools work? So um, backwit schools started way before this delegation. No? In college even, when I was still studying in the University of the Philippines, Cebu, I was among the organizers of a backwit school too. Basically, Lumad students who had their schools marauded or who had lost their schools, traveled to different parts of the country, not just Cebu, including Manila, so that they could continue their education. Professors from universities who chose 
to welcome them and to house them for several months, volunteered to teach them along with students. And that's what happened with this current delegation. They first started off in the University of the Philippines in October 2019, then transferred to St. Scholastica's in January. And then their last stop was going to be San Carlos in March of 2020. And they were going to go back in April 2020. But as we know, the country was put into a lockdown that month. So they were forced to stay in the island and wait the pandemic out or wait the lockdowns out. In the Bakwit school, students are not only taught basic lessons they would learn from schools, but they also receive psychological interventions. A lot of students, specifically psych majors and professors, try to give them therapy because most of them have witnessed a lot of violence and brutality in their communities, part of the reason why they chose to flee in the first place. So Lorraine, Bakwit schools are a place of refuge and learning for for LUMAD students who have mm-hmm. experienced br- brutality. Can you just mm-hmm. expound more on the experience of the LUMAD there in Cebu? Ano ba yung nararanasan What do they see? Are they experiencing brutality as well as oppression from the police and military? In their communities or during their stay in the back? Even before, even before, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, personally, during, one of, during my immersions in one of the Bakwit schools, students as young as eight to nine years old would us college students about how they saw their leaders getting killed, how they saw their parents being harassed, how they've lost teachers, and how they want to go to school but unfortunately cannot because they've been caught in the crossfire between the civil war, between the government of the Philippines and the new people's army. So stories of violence, brutality, of displacement are echoed by even the youngest students. In fact, even during our psychotherapy sessions where we would ask students to draw anything they wanted, while normal students like us when we were young would draw mountains and flowers, what LUMAD students, a common theme among their drawings or outputs would be guns, violence, corpses. So it's really evident that they've um, gone through trauma. And Lorraine, what is the profile of the LUMAD students that were taken from the university? Are they mostly teenagers? Are they mostly young? What's their profile? Their ages range from young teenagers, about the age of 12, 13. And some some are actual adults now, like 19 years old, 18, such as the case of the three LUMAD students no, that were arrested along with the volunteer teachers and the DATUs. So various ages and... Uh... Of course, they have mm-hmm. the same context of, you know, fleeing and experiencing violence mm-hmm. and oppression. What are the police and the government accusing them of? Why were they taken? Are they in trouble according to the government? Did they commit any crime? What was the government's accusation against them? The reason for the rescue operation, quote-unquote rescue operation, according to the police, was the parents of the LUMAD students were actually worried because they haven't seen their children in over two years. According to the police, the children were being trained as child combatants in the University of San Carlos. While they were inside the university taking shelter, they were now being subject to rebel training. So they accused the Luma teachers of indoctrinating these children 
of communist uh, principles of recruiting them to be part of the new people's army of course the police during the m- multiple press conferences held in cebu gave little to no proof behind these allegations and what were they saying what what is this in proof that they're saying are they just saying that it's because of intelligence because that's the basic and the most common thing that they're always saying it's because of intelligence but in this case Lorraine, what were they saying? What is their basis? A week and several days after the arrest, between February 27, the police, out of nowhere, on a Sunday, held press conference with three new people's army surrenderies. And basically, they the police said nothing, just let these surrenderies take over. No, And basically, what these surrenderies claimed were that they were once part of the new people's army and that they were witness to how these children were being manipulated into joining the new people's army and how these bakwit schools now were being used by religious organizations who were fronts for the communist party of the philippines to raise revenue to buy ammunition to fund the civil war this was the entire basis of their claim no that the children were being indoctrinated with communist principles and were being recruited. And Lorraine, I think that's a common practice of the police. They pull out alleged former rebels, mm-hmm. alleged former fighters of the New People's Army, and then they say that, okay, these New People's Army members have testimonies. But these people that the police presented, did they have actual, you know, have they actually witnessed the alleged child training, the combat training for these Luma no, students? No, for this delegation in particular, no. They just, all their statements were general statements based, quote-unquote, on their experience no, as former rebels. So, so it's their knowledge. They presented no proof whatsoever of justifying the arrest of this delegation in particular. In their alleged rescue operation, did they retrieve any... You know, firearms, bullets that point to uh, combat training and, you know, links no. to the communist part of the Philippines? Nothing. No, no, no ammunition, no weapons were seized from the arrest, from the raid. Okay. With such thin evidence, Lorraine, where are the students now? Because from this, um, isn't it that it would be hard for the government to detain them, to file cases against them? What are the complaints that were filed by the government against you know, the the students who are allegedly trained by the Communist Party of the Philippines. Two days after the arrest, the the seven that were detained, two teachers, three Lumad students, two Datus, they were sued for kidnapping no, and serious illegal detention. Um, while the 19 students that were, quote-unquote, rescued from the shelter were brought over to the custody of the Department of Social Welfare and Development. But that wasn't after a couple of days in detention or in the custody of police. And they were then, a couple of days after the the raid, they were then transported, some without authority from their parents, they were transported back to Mindanao, to the Davao region. So they came from Davao and they were put back to their families without informing the families that, oh, we're going to return you there. And so most mm-hmm. of the cases that were filed, the complaints that were filed, the raid, are for 
for the guardians, for the chaperones, for the people who were allegedly training these students. Ano daw? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, kidnapping, illegal detention. This is also a common complaint that's filed by the police for seniors in alleged um, CDPNPA groups. Mm-hmm. Continue. The, the commonality between the individuals that were sued weren't their occupation or weren't their roles in their uh, in the Bakwit school. They just basically took every adult they could find, detained them, and filed cases against them. So they weren't necessarily teachers. Uh, they didn't necessarily just target teachers or arrest teachers, or they didn't necessarily just arrest datus, but any adult that they could file a case against. So anyone who is 18 and above, they filed a case. Mm-hmm. 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 And who's the most striking case for you in this case? As apart from the two students who were just again to continue their education, one of the arrested I knew personally because he was also a student of UP and he frequented UP Cebu. He was Chad Book. I think a lot of people know him on social media because he's known for broadcasting or using his social media profiles to echo what's going on in LUMAD communities. He's been a LUMAD volunteer teacher since he graduated from college. And for the longest time during our conversations, when from years before, he would continually say na he's expecting police to come after him because he's received multiple death threats, been red-tagged so many times by state agencies, and he's been surveilled. No, So Chad Book was among one of the striking personalities that were arrested. And also teacher Rochelle, no, who was a LUMAD volunteer teacher also because she was separated from the rest of the seven. And she was, the police were very shady about her whereabouts at some point. So Chad and teacher Rochelle were among the most controversial of the individuals that were arrested. Thank you for that background there, Lorraine, because, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, generalizing about these people who are arrested by the police in Cebu. And mm-hmm. it's really important that you continue on telling the story, right? Na you, you show their faces and you tell, tell us about their context. And uh, Chad is also pretty much popular because he's one of the signatories against the anti-terror law, right? Yes, yes, yes. You're listening to the 17th episode of Criminal. Grappler's Crime Podcast. How is it so far? If you want to listen to other cool and informative audio, check out other Rappler podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. This crime podcast wouldn't have been possible without your support. If you haven't yet, support Rappler by joining our community called Rappler Plus. Rappler Plus believes in speaking truth to power, using technology for the greater good, to power communities to action. Go to rappler.com slash plus for more details. And so these people, a mix of volunteers, um, people who just want to help students. these Luma children, mm-hmm. students as well. How is their detention? Well, actually, according to the latest developments, you know, some of them are in really bad condition, particularly a student named Esme Oribawan. We published news of his deteriorating health condition last month. He reached the point where he couldn't even speak or walk, where he coughed up blood because of what they later found out was pneumonia. Bawan coughed up blood on March 17. It wasn't until three days after that he was actually allowed to see or to receive medical intervention. No? 
even volunteer groups offered a doctor, particularly this doctor from the Society of Divi- the Divine Word, but he was blocked from seeing Oribawan. But human rights groups such as the Save Our Schools Network pushed that he be allowed to see a doctor, that he be checked up because he was so lethargic, so frail, and they were afraid of what was going to happen to him since they were also unaware of pre-existing medical conditions that he might have had. So pretty dark conditions there in their detention, Lorraine. Mm-mm. And sometimes police would fail to disclose the whereabouts of some of them, particularly teacher Rochelle Porcadillo. For about a day, her relatives in the Save Our Schools network on a routine visit were alarmed no, when they went over to the police station and were, they were barred from seeing her and they were told that she had been transferred to another, to the police regional office. And then when they went there, they were told that Rochelle had already been taken. So it was a day of going back and forth and them not knowing her actual whereabouts. It wasn't until media organizations started publishing it that the police called for a press conference and actually showed where she was. But they still didn't give us an answer, no, why they didn't just allow the visit in the first place. This is really concerning, Lorraine. I mean, it's their rights to the claim of lawyers to seek their family to speak with them. What are the police saying and how are you handling this coverage when the police is very opaque when it comes to information? Actually, our interaction with the police is very rare. It was only in the case of teacher Rochelle that we actually received our response from the police. During this entire coverage, we would either get our statements from virtual press conferences aired on their social media pages or have no response at all. When we did receive a response, it was just a general statement saying that teacher Rochelle was in her cell and that she hadn't been moved in the first place. Any follow-up questions were later ignored. We basically felt frozen out of the situation. Of course, we wanted the police's side of the story to further understand what was happening with the arrested seven and to know more about their conditions. But most often, it would just be left unanswered. So the police really stonewalling the media to inform the Mm -hmm. public what's happening, right? And Mm -hmm. um, Lorraine, is this massive arrest of Lumads and also collection of activists. Is this the first time that it happened in Cebu? For the Lumads, yes. For, because during the first Bakwit school delegations, we would observe non-uniformed personnel or even police officers, no? specifically when they were still housed in the University of the Philippine Cebu. We would see them pacing the area, taking photos, but nothing as direct as this. Mass arrests started with Cebu 8. Last year, uh, basically Cebu 8 it's been widely covered, no, their story. Could you tell mm-hmm. us some more about uh, Cebu 8? They were a group of activists who were protesting against the... It was yet to be... The anti-terror law was yet to be passed then. So they were protesting against the passage of the anti-terror law. So it was in front of the University of the Philippines, Cebu. And that's what the police used as the basis for their arrest, no? That they were violating quarantine protocols. But these activists actually had quarantine passes and were actually wearing masks. And this was before the abrogation no, of the UPDND Accord. During the arrest no, and the chaotic displacement of the protesters, videos 
actually showed police breaching the walls of UP and arresting some students, snatching some students who took refuge inside the school. Students who trusted that UP was a safe space where police and state personnel cannot or are forbidden by law to enter. So it's not really something that happened in a vacuum. I mean, outside the university, the police has been really aggressive with cracking mm-hmm. down on activists. And it also goes back to the anti-terror law, no? And mm-hmm. during the arrest of the, the students and the, um, these teachers, these activists, now it was an anti-terror law by that time, right? No, not yet. It oh, was, not yet? Yeah, the protest was against the passage of the anti-terror no, law. I, I mean the Lumad students. The Lumad oh, students. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after that, then what And why do you think this happened during that time in February? Why did they have rescue operations at that time? Because as you mentioned, this is pretty unusual. And they entered the university. What changed? What happened? Well, what we do know is that Cebu City, Cebu City Mayor Edgardo Labella had a meeting with the anti-communist task force, the region's anti-communist task force, on February 11, days before the raid. But when we asked him what the meeting was about and if among the agenda you know, were the, the presence of these LUMAD students in the University of San Carlos, during his press con after the raid, you know, he denied and he said it was just to, to check on the stats in the region. It was just a short briefing on the state of the communist insurgency within the region. And he insisted that during the meeting, they've established that Cebu City was still insurgency-free along with Cebu province. So that's what makes this so bizarre, no? It, the raid seemed to have come out of nowhere. No one anticipated it because everyone knew that the Lumads were in Cebu. It was covered by... Even local media outlets know their arrival since 20, October of 2019. So we ask, why now? Why do they suddenly care about the Lumads being in San Carlos? Because in the first place, they knew that the Lumads were in UP Cebu in 2019. They knew that the Lumads transferred to St. Scholasticas. And they knew in March 2020 that the Lumads were in the University of San Carlos. So we, we really don't know what changed. Um, according to the police, it was concerned parents who reached out to them. But there was also a video released by Save Our Schools Network Cebu, one of the conveners of the Buckwit School. No? In the video, some students who were in the SWD facility, it was a video of a video call. No? And they claimed that their parents told them that police in their area monitored their community and threatened them to get their children in Cebu, to travel to Cebu and get their children. So basically, these students claim that their parents were coerced to retrieve them. So it's still quite messy how this story mm-hmm. is unfolding. And so far, Lorraine, I want to ask you in covering this story, what has struck you the most? These are just students no, who fled to other islands, who wanted to continue to learn, who wanted to continue their education. And it's been so hard for them for absolutely no reason. <laughs> and when, when you would talk to the students, no, you would hear the frustration, the fear. I sympathize especially with the Lumad student who had been forced to 
be separated with one of the stories during the arrest that struck me most no, was uh, the story of Lope Haikpin, the father of one of the Lumad children that at the time were still at the custody of the SWD. He traveled to Cebu with little financial resources no, to fetch his daughter, to reclaim his daughter. And for weeks, the Department of Social Welfare and Development barred him from regaining custody of his daughter. He actually had to file a petition for the writ of habeas corpus in order to reunite with his daughter. And even when the court granted that petition, he was still barred from seeing his daughter. The DSWD, for a day of standoff with human rights group, refused to release his daughter. No, so. Because according to them, he still needed to prove that he was financially capable enough to raise a child. He, he still had to pass the parenting capability assessment report before he could actually enjoy his rights as a parent to his child. So After him securing a document to, to see his child, there's another requirement that's required of him to see his child. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. They claimed that they weren't going to release him unless... He passed the parenting capability assessment report. And that still stood even after the courts were saying there is no compelling reason why the child should remain in custody of the DSWD. So that seemed to me like a microcosm of this entire ordeal. Children getting detained for very ambiguous reasons. And amid all these back and forths between the state and human rights groups and government agencies are children who are in their formative years who are facing who have faced trauma as it is and who have fled to islands so far from where they came from and now they're being followed by the same trauma and the same chaos that they tried to run away from and Lorraine I understand that it's a very difficult story to cover and there are stories that really jump at you and really are compelling for you to write them even if you know it's swaying at times why do you think it's important to continue to tell the story the story of these luma children and this story in particular it's important because for the longest time their story has been told by so many people that aren't them some people that may have been causing their distress in the first place It's important that they get to tell their story and they get to tell their version or else, say, for example, on this case in particular, the media didn't reach out to the Lumads, no? It it would just come off as a simple rescue mission. Stories of parents being barred from seeing their children, stories of Lumad students who are ailing in jail of an old Datu who have been experiencing a cough for several weeks but have been denied medical services, these stories wouldn't come to public knowledge and they would continue to be buried and hidden. And the oppression and this plight would continue on. And this could happen to Lumad children. What would stop it from happening to other marginalized sectors of society? Lorraine Karma, our Visayas correspondent of Rappler, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. This has been Criminal. If you'd like to be updated on this and other issues, don't forget to follow Rappler and Newsbreak on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have suggestions about topics we should cover in this podcast, just send me a message. 
My inbox is open on Twitter at Rambo Reports. I'm Rambo Talabong. Thank you for listening. Subscribe and listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.